This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, episode number 18. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I interview Hal Gordon, the chair of the Northwest Fly Tire and Fly Fishing Expo. We get into how the expo has become the largest tying event in the West and discuss some fly tying tips and reasons why you should attend. We also cover a bunch of other tying events around the country, talk steelhead fishing on the Trask River, and how to catch cutthroat in frog water. Don't miss this one as Hal shares a great tip and resource for finding hard-to-find materials. Without further ado, here's Hal Gordon. How's it going, Hal? Pretty good, Dave. Good. Good to, good to have you on here. Um, this is a pretty timely interview because there's a, a big event coming up here, the, the Northwest um, Fly Tire and Fly Fishing Expo um, isn't, isn't too far away. So I wanted to touch base with you on that and uh, you know talk a little bit about you know that and some steelhead fish, if that sounds good. You bet. Cool. Cool. So, uh, yeah, maybe you can start us off and tell us a little bit about how, you know, just your story and how you got into fly fishing. And uh, it sounds like you do some steelhead fishing and, and fly tying. We were talking a little bit before here that you tie quite a few flies every day. So sounds like you've got a good passion for it. Yeah, I really enjoy the, the hobby and the sport. Um, I grew up in the Intermountain West uh, fishing the, the Blue River trout streams around uh, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana. And so I learned to fish there. I started young. My uh, Actually, I fished mostly with my mother. She would take me out as a kid, and we'd fish for the day and come home. And uh, my dad was from the city. My mother was from the ranch. And so we spent a lot of time on the water. Started tying flies when I was uh, 10 or 12 years old. And my mother lined me up with her auto mechanic and uh, she asked the auto mechanic if I could sell flies out of his shop. His shop was on the way to Strawberry Reservoir in Utah. And so I made a little box and started selling flies at about age 13 and uh, felt pretty good about that. And then after graduate school, uh, we moved from New Mexico to Oregon about 30 years ago. And that's when I was introduced to Steelhead. And uh, my very first steelheading trip on the Wilson River, uh, I, I caught a first my first steelhead, the first trip out, the first hour on the water, and that <laughs> wow. was just fascinated with that. And I was hooked after that, and uh, been been chasing steelhead ever since. I consider myself mostly a trout person. I enjoy trout because you know they're there; they're resident fish. You know where to look for them. They're there pretty much the year round um still had took some getting used to i had to figure out when the runs were how the water type would be what the rainfall would be and so it takes a lot more homework to be a good steelhead fisherman and mm-hmm. then I, I i chase all fish with with flies i i love to swing flies uh I, i'll nymph a lot and uh just been enjoying it for pretty much my whole life hmm. cool yeah, that's awesome, man. For uh, fish in, within your first hour, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. That's how was the? Uh, do you remember that one like it was like it was yesterday? 
I do, I do. Um, it was the first part of December, and we were floating from we were floating down through Mills Bridge, right below Mills Bridge. Yep. And I cast right to the to the north bank through a deep channel that doesn't exist anymore. It's all filled in with sediment now after the '96 floods. But cast into the channel, and my my buddy. Uh, who used to guide out of the guide shop. He was just a friend of mine, so we'd fish regularly, but hooked a fish, and I'd say, Bill, I've, I've got one. He says, no, no, you don't. <laughs> just nag. Bill, it's a fish. And he says, okay, pulled over. Uh, the fish jumped about six times. Nice. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I believe my tippet, I think I had a um, six-pound tippet on because I'd been – it was a seven weight fly rod. I'd been fishing for trout. I didn't even think to change it to a heavier tippet for steelhead. And so it took about 20 minutes to, to land the fish. And it was about a seven pound, um, hatchery, uh, male steel steelhead. And Bill got it in the net and we took pictures and I couldn't have been more excited <laughs> in my life. That was the biggest trout I'd ever caught. Even though it's a steelhead, I, I still consider it a trout. But oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And every time I cross Mills Bridge now, I think about that. And yep. uh, it was good. It was, that's the way to start steelhead fishing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a big part of it. Right away, you, you learned, uh, you know, a fly that caught a fish, a spot, and kind of in the first hour, that's that's definitely the way to start. Um, yeah, I've got some uh, bunch of other questions here as far as steelhead fishing, but I'd love to get into a little more on the um, the flight tire um, expo and uh, just just hear about that whole story because I think it's interesting how how big it's gotten. And uh, so, yeah, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about the history of how this thing got started. I'm not even sure if you were there at the beginning or how how it all came to be. You know, the biggest uh, flight tying expo in the West, right? Yeah, yeah, it started back in 1987, I believe, in uh, Eugene, Oregon. So this will be our 30, well, you do the math, Dave. Yeah, no, I'm not good at math. (laughs) You know what, I had uh, uh, John Shuey was on the show in, uh, oh gosh, what was it, uh, episode 16, and he mentioned that... um, He's been doing it, gosh, yeah, over 30 years. So I guess people, you can go take a look at that one and hear hear him talk about yeah. it. But yeah, so it's been a while either way, right? Yep. Yeah, John was one of the founders, I believe. But it started in Eugene in about 1987. And it started in Eugene because that's where the, the Federation of Fly Fishers began in Eugene also. And a group of guys got together and decided to demonstrate their their fly tying skills. And it started out as a uh, Federation of Fly Tires, um, I'm sorry, Federation of Fly Fishers group. Just last year, the name was changed from Federation of Fly Fishers to Fly Fishers International. Oh, that's right. The name was changed. Um, it started out in the pavilion down at the fairgrounds in Eugene, very small group. The building was uh, could hold, oh, maybe 200 people. It was a little bit dark and damp down there. It's been held in March every year. And then about four or five years ago, they moved it up to Albany where we had more room. Then in Eugene, there was 
probably 50 tires that tied all day. Uh, when we moved to Albany, we were able to have up to 200 tires. <laughs> and the last few years, we've had vendors and tires. We've had some nonprofit fishery-related groups come in. Um, we've got two full days, uh, 9 a.m. till 5 uh, Friday and Saturday. And I have about, I'm the fly tire chair there, so my, my responsibility is to line up tires to tie in two-and-a-half-hour shifts, and there's three shifts a day. And so I have a database of about 600 tires from across the country, and we have had tires come from Japan and from uh, Europe also. <laughs> and so out of our database, we get about 200 tires a year, and the the the, the table the tire tables go pretty quick. We have a quite a, a demand, and um, a lot of people want to tie. We just actually don't have enough tables for everyone that does want to tie. Hmm. And we get oh, I don't couldn't tell you the attendance, but I'd say maybe fifteen hundred, two thousand people show up for the event, and it's kind of uh, mecca for a fly tire mm-hmm. because. You can come and see some of the best fly tying talent in the world there. They'll be tying saltwater flies, salmon, steelhead, trout, bass, muskie, anything that you can catch on a fly. You can go fly a, find a fly tire there to tie patterns that you might be interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, so it's, uh, that's cool. Yeah. So, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun event. It's, yeah. It's... it's the family reunion for fly tires is what it is. We, we've, we've, I've seen some people I've been seeing there for 30 years and, uh, I've not been on the expo board. I've been on the expo board the past 10 years or so, but I've attended all every event for, for th- over 30 years. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. So it's basically bringing together, you know, all these fly tires, like talking to John Shuey when, you know, uh, in that episode, he mentioned that, yeah, it's just, you're kind of coming back. He's, he hasn't missed a, you know, a single show or whatever, and you're getting together with your old friends and then, but it's also getting out to actually people that are interested in learning. Uh, I mean, is that kind of your target audience? Who, who do you think out of those, you know, a few thousand people coming, who, what is their, you know, who are those people? Are they beginners? I are think, they experienced? Is just kind of everybody? I think it's, uh, all different skills come, but I think the majority of people are the the intermediate tires that want to learn new skills. Um, the guy that ties oh a dozen or two flies a year just for their own personal use and fishing trips. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's people that um, have uh, some free time on their hands that want to learn a new hobby, learn a new skill. And the joke at the expo is that. Uh, all the retirees come on Friday because it's less crowded and they oh, yeah. you know, Friday's off. Um, then the working folk with kids, they come on Saturday. Gotcha. And we've, we've got quite a few youth. We have uh, tables for youth to set up and actually tie. Um, I have this year, we have a dozen tires at the tables that are uh, teenagers we have two young girls that are fantastic. Um, they're 12 and 13 years old. Mm. They've, they've tied the last uh, two or three years. And so 
when you show up, you can pick your skill level. If you want to learn basic beginner flies, there's two dozen tires for you. If you want to do advanced uh, Atlantic salmon patterns with married wings, fancy flies, we've got another two dozen for you. And But we have all skill levels. And the tables are all set up where you just wander around and when a fly catches your eye, you sit down in front of the tire and they'll show you all the techniques and methods and uh, answer all your questions. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So you have a good range of tires from, you know, I guess uh, basic up to, I mean, I just think of my, my skill level, you know, I've been tying my whole life, but I, I, I'm not, you know, one to get up on the, um, you know, tie a, a beautiful Atlantic salmon fly. I'm, I'm kind of a little more basic. So is that, am I going to fit in there nicely this year? Is there, I guess there'll be people that'll want to see some of that, you know, a good range of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll learn some new tick, uh, tricks and techniques. Maybe you've been tying a hair wing on a certain way for years and years. Maybe it slips. When I come into the expo, you can ask you a few questions. I'll show you how to keep that hair intact, the, how to fly fish longer, maybe fish at a different method or different angle. And uh, so you learn all those things. And the, the neat thing is all of our tires are very enthusiastic about sharing their knowledge and skills with other people. Um, yeah. We want want people, we focus on tires that are teachers, that are personable and you can sit down and spend an hour. Sometimes you can't get away from them. They'll want to talk to yep. you longer than, than you have time, but you'll definitely <laughs> learn things that you, you know, we can watch videos and YouTube of flight time, but you don't get to ask questions there. Here, at the expo, you can sit down and actually have a long conversation about how to do a fly and how to fish it, where to go. Um, we're, there's just a wealth of information there from from all over the state, all over the country. Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds awesome. It's just a perfect forum for yeah for teaching, and I'm, I'm definitely excited about uh, chatting with people. And yeah, I hope to hope to do a little documenting, uh, you know, the show this year and maybe, you know, um, do a little summary of, uh, you know, kind of some of the people that I talked to and, you know, um, I'm not sure if this show will be, uh, uh, published by the time, you know, the show comes along, but, um, it, this is actually going to be the, the show that we're uh, doing here will be at wetflyswing.com slash 18. So this is the, um, the 18th episode I've, I've done. So yeah. Um, I'll, uh, I'll post that, but yeah, this is, uh, I mean, I'm really excited about, uh, just kind of doing like, uh, like you're saying, chatting with people and, and kind of getting to know some new skills and that's really cool. So you have sessions as well where people can learn and actually go into specific, um, types of tying, not, not just folks that are out there on the general floor. Yeah. Yeah. We have, like I say, 200 tires that you can sit down and watch. Then we have special classes. Uh, these classes, uh, we charge a fee. The fee might be $5 to $20, but here you get to get a class from a, a, a well-known tire who maybe there's not enough room to, each table might sit three people on the tying floor, but if you want to, you know, a little bit more personal touch, you can take a class and the class might have 10 people in it, but at least all 10 people will get to talk with the instructor without having to crowd around a very small table. It'll be more open. Um, the classes run from two to three hours, and they're, the classes are focused on a particular 
pattern or style or fishing method. Uh, this year, I believe we have about a dozen classes that people can take. Some focus on lake fishing, some on streams, some on steelhead. I think there's the one on saltwater this year. But oh, cool! Yeah, there's those are all advertised on our on our website. Great, great. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Good stuff. So, so what you know about the show? Um, you know, what gets you excited about it every year? What, what's the biggest thing that kind of keeps you going? It must be a lot of work um, as the chair. How, how do you keep going strong all these years? Um, it yeah, it takes about takes me about 200 hours a year to to volunteer time what keeps me going is i get to see like i say some of the best tires in the world become friends with them uh when you see them year to year you start getting invitations to go fish and go tie with them and go to other fly tying events um in fact just this last year i got to know a a great tire from Southern California. And he said, how, how would you like to go catch some golden trout in the high Sierras? And I oh, said, cool. that would be wonderful. <laughs> he said, come on down. I'll take care of you. And nice. so that's how we, that's how we tie fly tires are. We, you know, we get to know each other and develop friendships and, uh, it, it's very rewarding to, to work with people when, when you can develop those relationships. Yeah, no, that's definitely a nice, uh, Cool. Well, that's basically what it all comes down to, right? It's like building uh, these relationships and connecting with people. And that sounds like that's a, a basically a, a, a big part of what this forum is about. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So are there, do you want to, you know, this year and past years, who are some of the, the big name tires that people may have uh, heard about that are coming? Uh, or in, maybe this year or oh, in past years? Or do you know of any off the top of your your head who you might call you know so i don't know how you uh, talk about the top tires i know there's a few names i've seen this year i tell you i need to be real careful here dave oh okay yeah <laughs> yeah we don't want to call it yeah <laughs> i hear you every every one of our tires is a top tire and yeah. so but i can i can describe what they do we have uh we have several members of a group from seattle it's the uh the atlantic salmon fly tying guild up there Excellent tires. They meet as a club uh, once a month in the Seattle area and tie. Uh, that's a great group to meet at the expo because they can help you find some of the exotic uh, fly tying materials that you might not be able to find in other places. They've got connections to zoos and and private um, oh, nice. people that raise, raise birds. So Atlantic Salmon recovered there. We have one tire that does realistic. Actually, we have several tires that do realistic flies. If you want to see a, a black widow spider nice. tied as a fly or a, a little mosquito that looks just like the real bug, one of them does a pterodactyl and some dinosaurs, which is quite interesting. So we've got realistic tires. Then we just have your your basic run-of-the-mill tire that ties flies that will catch fish. Mm-hmm. And so we have that. We have um, uh, quite a few women tires are, are coming to tie for us. And so ladies shouldn't be shy of coming to the expo there. We've got a, a dozen or two lady tires that are just excellent. Um, we've got young kids and then uh, we've got, I think one or two tires that are pushing 90. And like I said, we got our youngest tire, I think is one of the young ladies. Uh, she's 11 or 12 years old. So, um, hmm. but uh, don't, I don't want to mention any names. No, it's fine. We're all, 
Oh yeah. We're all good. We're all good. (laughs) Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And actually that was a great tip on the, uh, talking about the exotic materials and stuff. I'll, uh, yeah, as I noted at, at wetflyswing.com slash 18, I'll have the show notes there and I'll provide links to, uh, the groups you mentioned here in this episode so people can connect with that. That's, that's definitely going to be a great resource. So I'm hoping, um, you know, when I post this, people can actually just go to the, to the website and get all these links we're talking about today. Um, yeah. So how do you yeah. get into like, I mean, it, it's fine, you know, not calling out names or whatever, but how do you, I mean, do you choose specific, I think actually I talked to one of the tires that's going to be at the show who is going to be a guest on my show in a, in a couple months. Um, and he was saying, I thought that he maybe was, uh, you know, called by you guys. Maybe I'm wrong. Is that, do you actually call big time tires or, or do they, or do you just wait for people to come to you? Um, we're, we're a hundred percent word of mouth. As people see our event, they get interested. I try to get them to come attend the event at least once before they actually tie. I There's an application that you fill out to tie every year. And I choose most of my tires based on recommendations for others. So okay. if someone wants, wants to tie, I'll ask them for references, someone that can vouch for their skills and abilities. And... The other thing is we're we're linked to all the fly fishing clubs in Oregon, California, and Washington. And so each club, we ask for volunteers to help run the expo. And so through volunteering through the clubs, they get the, the clubs will recommend their best tires. And so out of the dozen or so clubs in Oregon, each each club each year recommends their best tires to, to come. And then as a tire sees as a tire attends the event they they get really excited and then they approach mm-hmm. me and say hey i need an invitation and so we've never really had a lack of tires and most years we have an over demand of tires and, yeah. Uh, but yeah we've we have a lot of interest um and you know being a 30-year event too it's, uh, we're well known yeah, no, it's cool. I, I actually, I was, I think about the way on my uh, show here, how I find guests. I mean, a lot of it comes from people, you know, just people I know or hear about, but one way I find new guests is at the end of each call. Um, I usually ask my guest if he knows, you know, a couple people that, you know, would be interested in doing a similar, you know, call like we had. So I kind of build on, you know, word of mouth, basically hearing from, you know, the people I'm talking to and who they think would also love this sort of conversation. So, um, you know, that's something that, that works pretty well for me, but it sounds like, yeah, you guys don't have a problem finding great. Uh, obviously you can look at the list, go to the website and see the list of tires you have there and, and, uh, see that. Um, yeah, so maybe we can get into a couple, I don't know, this is kind of a hard one. It's not always an easy one when you talk about, um, you know, fly tying tips, but you tied a lot of flies. Do you have, you know, maybe for that beginner, well, maybe it's intermediate fly tire, a, a tip that can help them tie better flies. Anything come to your mind? Sure. I think the, the best tip is get involved with the, one of the flight clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in most of the major cities in, in the Western United States, uh, get to know people. And I think the way I started out was I tied flies because I was too cheap to buy them. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. afford flies. Oh yeah. So I started tying and I only tied flies that I fished and caught fish. And then it, it went from, uh, a utility of I need flies to an art art form, mm-hmm. and I think um, if you're first learning, I would just 
the flies that you fish with, and I've learned how to tie them very well. I think in my mind, I could pick a dozen flies that I would use every single year, and I take on every single trip, and I'd focus on those. And like one of the, um, oh, what was his name? One of the famous fly tying book authors. I can't remember his name. Oh, A.K. Best. Mm, yeah. A.K. Best said, "You do not know how to tie a fly until you've tied a hundred dozen mm. of that pattern." Oh, of that pattern. Of that pattern, yes. Wow. I find that to be so true. Um, how long I've, does it I've take tied, you to? To, how long would it take you to tie a hundred dozen of that pattern? I wonder. Well, I've been tying for almost, let's see, how old am I? Almost 40 years now. And I am a typical basic trout fly. Once you get into the mode, into the mindset, um, you can do a dozen an hour. Yeah, a dozen an hour, yep. And so that almost yeah. equals, so yeah, I'm, I'm bad at math again, but, uh, yeah. I, I was thinking of a, uh, of a book, uh, or God, I think it's uh, it's the first 20 hours. I I'll, I'll provide a link to it, but it basically the, the premise is, is that, you know, you can learn anything, you know, you're not going to be an expert, you, but you can be a very, very good at anything in 20 hours. If you put the right amount of, you know, focused time into that subject yeah. and he shows it and, you know, on one of his videos in this book where he learns to play the ukulele in 20 hours. Um, so I wow. guess that, is that about right for fly tying? If you put 20 dedicated hours into, is that about, uh, you know, I guess, I'm not sure if that's the hundred dozen, I guess, I guess it's not, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'd say that's about right. I yeah. would love to learn to play the bagpipes in 20 hours. There you go. Well, well you got to check out this, but, uh, check out this book then he'll, t- he'll show you how to do it. <laughs> but I think if, you know, if you want to tie an elk hair caddis or a parachute atoms or a, pheasant tail nymph yeah i think you could you could be proficient in 20 hours focus 20 hours yeah okay um but it's uh you know most of the the difficult part of flight time and a lot of people don't realize this is preparation if you set out all your tools all your materials prep all your materials get it all laid out because preparation takes about 10% of the time. Mm-hmm. And so you know where everything is. You don't have to go searching for things. You've got all your hackles pulled out, trimmed, and sorted by size and by color. And then that's when you can really focus and and, and do good work. It's, it's the fly tire that has to rummage through a shoebox every five minutes to find something that, that's not going to be proficient. But yeah. once you get into a production mode as i call it that's that's when you really do quality work yeah no that's a good point i i actually have a little a little online uh course right basically a beginner course and that's one of the first things i say is try to try to find a space it's not always possible where you live but if you can kind of set that out so everything's ready so you don't have to you know set up your vice and you know take it down every time so you can just kind of go there even if it's one fly a day you know, you can just hop down and tie that fly and it, it helps you, um, keep going. But, uh, yeah, no, those are, those are great tips. How I really appreciate that. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Um, thinking about the, um, material, you know, the fly material industry, I was just watching something on YouTube. Um, oh, I can't remember who it was, but he basically walked through one of the, um, one of the big companies that has a lot of the, the necks and things like that. What is your recommendation? Um, 
as far as, do you have a place like as far as online? I've had that question a number of times, like where do you, where's a good place to go to get materials online? Um, I mean, obviously if there's a local fly shop, that's best, but do, do you have any uh, recommendations there? Yeah, I'd be very careful there. Um, obviously I would support your local fly shop first because not only do you go there to purchase materials, but you go there to get information. Mm-hmm. And so if, if we don't support financially support the fly shops, we'll lose that information. And beyond that, um, there's a couple of major advertisers that uh, I won't mention their names, but, um, where you can buy, for example, you go into a fly shop and you'll see the, the label, just those yeah. labels. You can usually Google and find it, but I actually, um, buy a fair amount on eBay too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause there's quite, quite a few tires that, that tie for 20 years and decide it's not their thing. And they're, they just sell all their stuff. Oh, cool. That's a great, so yeah. you can do well there. You ask questions before you buy, make sure they've got a good return policy. Um, zoom in on the photos of what they're selling and usually you can do okay. Um, I found hooks on eBay usually sell at the retail price. So, you won't find good deals on hooks. But, no. Um, and then also be very careful. Um, make sure the materials you buy are legal materials. Sometimes you'll see things from foreign countries that are not allowed to be imported. Um, we do have some threatened and endangered species in the United States that you cannot buy and sell. Mm-hmm. So occasionally you'll see those on eBay. Those need to be you don't purchase those things because, uh, yep. you know, it, it's against the law. So be very careful there. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, the eBay. That's a, that's a good tip. That's definitely a good place yeah. to look at, look for stuff. Um, I want to check on one thing, uh, that's a little bit, uh, off, uh, topic here, but well, maybe not totally off, but, um, uh, Don at the, uh, at the river city fly shop. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to get him on the show. Uh, eventually I know he's not a big online guy sort of thing, but, uh, I was wondering if you could talk about maybe just kind of briefly your connection to Don and, and how that all, cause I haven't heard that story from Don. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, when we moved here, uh, Kaufman's was the only fly shop in town and Kaufman did, uh, Randall and Randall Kaufman, who's, uh, spent yep. most of my time talking with and I'd hang out there and it was a great shop. Nice people. They did a quite a large catalog, um, sales. And I went into Kaufman's once and they didn't have the particular feather I was looking for. And one of the desk guys says, Hey, go, go check out river city. I think they've got what you're looking for. And I went into river city off of Shoals ferry road there in, in Beaverton. And he had what I needed and uh, so I went back and forth between River City and Kaufman's. Kaufman's eventually uh, went out of business. I spent more time at River City. And I remember one time I walked in and I needed a new pair of waders. And I walked in and says, hey, Don, I've been shopping around. And the waders I wanted were about $150. I says, Don, have you got any waders about $150? And Don says, Sure. Um, but you don't have to pay that much. <laughs> I'll charge you 150, but you don't have to pay that much. And so we kind of hit it off right there. And yeah. then, um, Don has 
probably the widest selection of fly tie materials that I've ever seen in any fly shop. And mm-hmm. I travel coast to coast with my job. I never pass a fly shop without stopping in. But Don by far has the biggest variety. Yeah. And the reason Don has it is he goes to uh, fly shops that are going out of business and buys all their inventory from around the country and throws them up on his wall. And so he specializes in the odd materials. Oh, yeah. or, you know, you can go into some fly shops and there's, you know, five different uh, grizzly saddles to choose from. You go into Don's and he's probably got 30 from very high quality to low quality. He's got the whole range, whole range of prices. Um, so I spent a lot of time there. And Don had me... He's now got me tying custom fly orders for him. Mm-hmm. And about, oh, I'm going to say 10 years ago, there was a, a huge interest in Atlantic salmon flies. And so I taught an Atlantic salmon fly course there for Don for, like I say, 10 years. Hmm. There's been less and less interest in that because everyone that wants to tie them has, has learned how taking a class. But uh, that was a lot of fun. We would do a full day Atlantic salmon fly class. And each student would walk out with uh, two or three Atlantic salmon flies after eight hours of tide. Mm. And so, but Don's, Don's been very supportive of the fly clubs and the expo. He has a booth at the expo uh, every year. And so, uh, yeah, Don's, a, and he's, he set up a table at the front of the shop um, just to sit and talk. And yeah. So it's, it's a very welcoming atmosphere. Sometimes you have to, bend his arm to get him to go up to the cash register so you can pay for something. <laughs> That's right. But beyond that, it's a, it's a friendly place to, yeah. to visit. Yeah, definitely. I love, uh, yeah, I love going into Don's place. That's good. Cool. So, uh, yeah, maybe you could talk uh, a little bit about, uh, you know, do you have any uh, mentors that, that helped you along the way get to, you know, your tying level? It sounds like, yeah, if you're doing Atlantic salmon flies, you must be a kind of an upper level. Do you think of any names that helped you get to where you are? Well, growing up, yeah, there's quite a few. Um, I had a high school biology teacher, Art Nelson. Spent a lot of time with him. I in Boy Scouts, I had uh, uh, a couple of scout leaders that tied. Um, but this was in the, the 70s. And in the 70s, there weren't hardly any classes. There was no computer, yeah. obviously, nothing online. All we had was books. And back then, all we had was Herder's catalog. If hmm. if your listeners mm-hmm. remember Herder's, yep. they went out of business oh thirty years ago. But most of the my learning took place from reading books. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the old Atlantic salmon books from from England from the eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies. The Price Tanit. Um, books and and read those and read them and reread them <laughs> and that's how I learned to do Atlantic salmon. When when I learned to Atlantic, you you couldn't find anyone doing them. Um, guys were doing them, but they were spread out all over the country, all over the world, um, and it was hard to to meet those people. They they just you know we didn't really have fly tying shows like we have today, mm-hmm. and so pretty much self taught. And now. Um, I still learn new things about Atlantics uh, at the at the fly shows, and uh, like I say, the expo 
there's two dozen excellent Atlantic guys. You can sit down there, get some one-on-one attention from them, and they'll show you new techniques. And then you'll, even though you're watching them tie, you can share your your skills with them while they're tying. And so the the learning goes both ways. Um, Atlantic's, I just became fascinated with them in the um, the early '90s, and just the colors, and it's almost as much fun just collecting the materials as uh, is it hmm. is tying to Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Such a variety. I don't know if you know the the story of Atlantic salmon flies, but no, when maybe the British, you can, yeah, maybe you can give yeah. us a quick little uh, summary of it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a history buff too, Perfect. but. When the British ruled the world, they had the, the largest navy in the world, obviously, and the sea captains would travel to all the ports and all the continents, and they would be on the ocean for you know years on end before they came back to England. Well, while the sea captains were visiting all these uh, exotic places, they were collecting fur and feathers uh, for fly time, <laughs> and so they'd return to England with you know, jungle cock from India and uh, red crow from South America and ostrich and peacock and golden pheasant and, you know, from all over the world. And then they plop that material down in front of their fly tire in England and say, tie me the most gaudy, colorful, exotic fly that you can so I can impress my friends. (laughs) And so... Most Atlantic salmon flies, if you really get down to the materials, represent almost every continent in the world with a, with a feather or fur. Oh, wow. So, um, and then the sea captains, the tinsel on Atlantic would come from the lapel um, from their from their uniform. Oh, yeah. And so they just unravel the tinsel. There's the tinsel. <laughs> and so the Atlantics really started as part of a as a result of the British Navy traveling the world. And then these guys want to show off um, all their treasures from, from around the, around the world. Hmm. And so I took that to heart and I was fascinated by that and started doing the same thing, collecting feathers from all over. And uh, now mostly I tie Atlantic salmon flies for wedding gifts and Mm -hmm. retirement gifts and Christmas and things like that. But uh, a lot of, a lot of your heart and soul goes into Atlantic fly because it could take you two or three hours to tie it. And you just, you can't sell something like that. It's, it's a yeah. piece of you and it, yep. you know, it's, it's very sentimental. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> it's, it's a, that's uh, how I see it. yeah, no, it makes, I, I never, I, I think I will get into it more, but I never really got fully into it. I've always been kind of, um, I uh, had uh, Jay Nicholas on in uh, episode three, and he was like, you know, I was kind of asking him about fly tying, and he says nowadays he he likes to get those five minute fl- find a fly you can tie in five minutes, you know, and that's that's always been <laughs> that's always been kind of my thing too. I'm kind of uh, you know kind of quick, get it in, get it out. I'm I guess I'm probably more of a more of a fisherman than a than a flight, you know, if you had to pick one of the things. But um, but yeah, I think I will just because it's such a unique. I love the history too, and. You know, just with everything and spay flies. So, so no, that's great. That's cool. Really interesting. The the whole history there, and of course, um, you know everything. Yeah, it came over here, and and now we're tying people are 
taking it to another level. Do you see that people now there's like a resurgence or has it had, it just kind of goes in waves or there's still plenty of Atlantic salmon tires? Um, it definitely goes in waves. I think it was more prominent five years ago than it is today. Um, I see a lot of people at the expo come and just walk by the Atlantic guys and say, Oh, I need, I want to, I need the basic. I want the fish. Yeah. I want to start basic. Yep. Um, but, uh, five years ago, the Atlantic guys had all the attention. That's where the crowd was. Uh, Hmm. So it, it, it comes and goes. Um, Mm -hmm. I think most people are discouraged to find Atlantics because they can't find the materials. Oh yeah. I think there would be much, much more interest if they could get, you know, the swan feathers and, um, that perfect golden pheasant crest, but they just, uh, it's difficult to find those. Yeah. But, um, but as you noted, the, the place up in, uh, up in Washington, there, the exotic materials, um, group that might be one place to start. Yeah. yeah if you get to know those guys, they'll share their, their sources with you. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Now I also, yeah. I also believe that the basic trout fly is very pretty too. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, but I think there's, there's, there's beauty in all flies. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I agree. And, uh, I was just thinking of, uh, asking you, your uh, if, you know, talking a little bit about steelhead here, if you had to pick your, your two or, you know, maybe a couple of go-to steelhead flies, which are the first that you pull out of your box? Well, I'm partial to uh, Green Butt Skunk. Mm-hmm. It's been around forever. Um, I uh, I hate to admit it, but sometimes egg patterns, yep. blow bugs, work really well. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a fly called the Tyrant that uh, Randall Kaufman came up with. I really like it. Huh. It's, uh, it's more of a coho fly, but it's chartreuse or... Not, not chartreuse. What's the color? Um, it's kind of a red pink color. Okay. But it's 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 a rabbit strip with a white chenille body with a with a, a pink hackle on the front with a cone head. Okay. Um, I really I haven't really got into intruder patterns much. A lot of guys love those. Yeah. I tie quite a few of them. Um, but I like more of the smaller classical, the, the Trey Combs kind of steelhead. Yep. I like the hair wing. I like Dave McNeese's patterns a lot. John Shuey's mm-hmm. patterns a lot. Um, and I've had the most success with, with them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. The, uh, the intruder. Yeah, it is a popular, I think the, the reason that one is, is so popular is it just, uh, provides, well, especially for winter fish, you know, obviously it provides a ton of ton of movement but at the same time you don't get a super bulky fly so you can you can kind of cast it with uh you know with a normal setup but um yeah no those are those are good paths i'll definitely try to find a link to the the tyrant uh, and, and and add that to the show notes and uh, it's an old pattern yeah yeah now the other thing is i mostly fish the coastal water for steelhead and so there you got to get down you got to get deep you need a very heavy sink tip if you're swinging. Cone heads are the rule there. Mm-hmm. Where on the Deschutes, you can go a little bit lighter flies. Um, but I think on the, like the, the Trask and the Wilson, if, if you're not, you know, four or five feet deep, you're probably not hitting, hitting fish in their zone. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah, that is a, yeah, it's always a, it's a fine line too, because you, you definitely, you got to get down, but you don't want to be so deep that you're dragging the bottom and actually below them. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I yep. hear you. You got to be a little bit heavier. Um, cool. So, uh, yeah, I was just thinking a little more about the, the other expos. So, you know, we, you've got this big one that you're, you know, basically heading up here. What are, are there other expos around the country? Um, the other big ones, do you know, any names of, of the, you know, where other people, if they're not in the Northwest where they might find some of these or are they kind of mostly on the East coast? Um, no, we have a really good one in Portland and I'm also the flight tire chair for that one. It's the flight tires rendezvous. Um, it's held the first or second week of November every year. We've been doing that one for over 20 years Mm -hmm. and it's held out at the armory by the Portland airport. But if you just, uh, do a search for Portland fly tires rendezvous, you'll find that at that one, we have 50 to 60 tires. It's just a one day event. Mm -hmm. There's also uh, a group that meets in, in Ellensburg, Washington. That's the first part of January, mm-hmm. and they'll get 40, 50 tires there. There's a show in Boise. There's a show in Idaho Falls. Oh, wow. There's a show in Salt Lake, huh. show in Redding. Yeah, um, and these are all similar to, to the, the show here, uh, similar style. Oh, no, our... Our show is by far the best show. Yeah, um, <laughs> nice. The, the other shows are very good, too. I, I shouldn't put them down, but yeah, they're good. But we have 200 tires. They, they'll they have 100 tires. But yeah, pretty much um, it's a big thing. A lot of tires are like, liking to get together. Most of the other shows I just mentioned are, you know, 10 or 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, now we do have the... Federation, or I'm sorry, the Fly Fishers International right. group, they they have an event, what we used to call a conclave, every year. And this year, this August, it's in Boise, Idaho. So anyone with fly time interest, or in the politics of fly time, they, we, there's, uh, they do quite a bit of lobbying there. Mm-hmm. Um, to promote fly time, if you're interested in that, you could come there. There's fly demonstration classes. Usually, the Fly Fishers International they usually meet in um, Livingston, Montana, mm-hmm. and then every few years they branch out. So this year is uh, in Boise, so that's close to home. So we expect uh, quite a few people from Oregon to attend that. Okay. Um, the other big big show would be in New Jersey. And I think that's in the spring. And then there's another big show in, in Denver, Colorado, where they have, uh, it's kind of for vendors to show up where they show off the new gadgets and new time materials. Um, you need a special invitation to go to that one, but that's a really, that's an eye opener hmm. to go to that one. Most of the fly shop owners attend that one. Oh, cool. Um, but, and the other, I guess the last thing I would say is every fly club has a fly tying club night a couple times a year. So I would check yeah. your local fly clubs too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's definitely some some good local groups out there. Do you know if on either at your site or these other um, these other expos, if there are uh, much video where people are kind of recording tires and then posting it on, on the websites at all? 
Um, we used to do that at the expo. I think we did about, oh, I'm going to say 15 years of videos where we'd bring in a dozen of the tires and film them. I think the, oh, the public broadcasting group out of uh, Salem did that. You can actually buy the videos, the DVDs. Um, there's a link to that on the expo website. But they haven't done those the last few years, mostly because there's so much on YouTube yeah. for people to watch and see. We just haven't done those. Yeah. But um, it takes a lot of work to do that, and we've just at the expo chosen not to continue that. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. That's YouTube is is kind of massive now. It's got everything. Um, so what what about you know, talking about the show in the next? Um, you know, 20 years, say, I mean, where, where do you see this thing going? I mean, you, I, I think about the Northwest fly tire expo, but I mean, you also have fly fishing on the end there. I mean, is this something where you want to grow this thing much bigger than it's at? And I think of the, 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 um, sportsman show this year, how you go over there and it seems like fly fishing, that section gets smaller and smaller as we go. Do you guys see yourself growing to take up, um, a need for people? Well, I've I've seen that at the at the the Portland show. Also, it's it has diminished the the fly tires groups. I think Don Nelson may be the only fly shop that goes to the the sportsman show in, mm -hmm. in Portland. Um, what my experience has been is, and I'm I'm sure you've you've uh, seen this, but when the movie A River Runs Through It came out. 20 yep. years ago, the interest in fly times, fly fishing just skyrocketed. It was just astronomical. Since then, it's, it's dropped down, um, considerably. Um, we're really trying to get some of the younger people into fly tying and fly fishing, mm -hmm. but I think we are competing and I'll just be honest with you. We are competing with computer games and toys and uh school sports and so yeah. we're competing with a young man or young lady's attention there and so we are concerned that as an the, the typical age of our tires is getting older mm -hmm. but we are making a big attempt to to bring new people in we're mm -hmm. always looking for new people to volunteer to be on the expo board mm -hmm. um and volunteering their their time and their talents to help. Um, I, I hope we can keep it going for another ten years, um, but we're going to need some some new people, some sure. energetic people that are want to do that. So, yep. anyone that's listening to your show, boy, we could sure use your help. Um, yeah. Or, and especially if you have, you know, a business background, if you have an, a background in accounting or marketing or sales mm -hmm. or websites or um, personal management. That's what we're looking for to, to help out. Cause we don't want to lose the ground that we've made, but I wouldn't say, um, it's a guarantee we'll be around in 10 years. I hope we are. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like I say, it all depends on, you know, what, what enthusiasm we can maintain today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how does it just kind of uh, briefly, I mean, how does the whole thing, I mean, it gets funded. Is it a, is it a nonprofit or is it, uh, you know, for uh, how does the whole thing function now? I mean, do you have to get a certain amount yeah, of advertisers it, in there? It's a nonprofit, and it's sponsored by the um, 
Oregon Council Fly Fishers International. And we've been able to, obviously we have to pay for the the buildings and the utilities and security and the, all the materials it takes to run an expo. And so we have vendors that help pay for that. We have an admission to the expo. I forget the admission price, but it's uh, it's just a couple dollars mm-hmm. to get in. And so mm-hmm. every year, um, the money has not been a problem through our 30 year history. We've always had good vendor support and, and ticket sales. And so mm-hmm. we're doing good there. We do make a little bit extra money that we can use for scholarships for fishery students. We do have uh, some grants. So if other groups want to uh, do some fishery improvement or education, there is a little bit of money uh, generated from the expo that can be used uh, for yeah. those purposes. So nice. Uh, pretty good. It's we've we've got a good pretty good balance of. Um, money coming in and how and how we use that money yeah no it's great um yeah so we're uh, we're getting close to wrapping this up here how i just wanted to had a couple few more questions for you here um you know as i've been going here like i said this is episode 18 i've been interviewing uh you know i think the last episode i interviewed uh scott mcgarvo we talked about the dean river you know i've talked about the skeena i've talked to basically a lot of a lot of uh, experts from you know kind of all around the you know the pacific rim um but we haven't talked about the uh the trask river yet you know that's a kind of a local river um you know on the north coast you know maybe you could talk about you know it sounds like you've caught a few fish there a few steelhead how, how you how you catch fish up there what's the you know as far as the uh, any tips or secrets or you know strategies or how you how you do it well, a secret's a secret. Uh, <laughs> I I like the trask because um, the, it's mostly wild fish oh, over yeah. there. You get up to the north and south fork, there's no hatchery mm-hmm. up there, and so it's native fish. Um, you'll get up there and uh, swing a fly deep if the water's really high. Uh, indicator nymph an egg through there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like little tiny glow bugs. I, I tend to go small. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll use a, like bead small a, or, or more glow bug style. A, I'll do ten or twelve hook small. Okay. Oh down yeah. There. Yeah. Um, now I love floating the trask. You, you've got to be very careful though. Uh, around the peninsula, there's a little waterfall. Pay attention to the put in and takeouts, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a it's a great river for pontoon boats. Yeah, because pon- pontoons are very forgiving. You can bounce off rocks, but the way to fish the trask is you you put in and you stop at every run. You fish every run thoroughly, mm-hmm. and then you float down another hundred yards to the next one. I would fish everything. Um, there's a lot of water that looks like deep, slow salmon holes. You want to stay away from those. You want to fish the top end or the bottom end. But anytime you see a riffle going into a channel or a slot, fish that and fish it hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, see, I don't think I've ever caught a fish side drifting through the trask. It's always park and walk on the bank. Yeah. Um, the, the trask is hard to get to. There's very little access just to park and walk in. And so you, I find floating it uh, 
to be very a lot of fun. And then when you get down to the tidal influence part of it of the um, trask, that's great for sea run cutthroats. I love it down there. When the Chinook come in, the sea runs are right behind them mm-hmm. and just fish what I call frog water down there. Occasionally, you'll hit a hit a steelhead down there, but most of the steelhead I've caught are in in the midsection or or way up high on the trask. Yeah, and the other thing with the trask is um, I've got one or two spots that it, it, I got to hike in a quarter mile through Devil's Claw and just really bad brush, and I fish about a ten uh, foot section of river and. I can honestly say almost a hundred percent of the time I've, I've hooked a fish there. Hmm. And so you find that one or two, just little pockets mm-hmm. that will always hold a fish. That's how I fish the trask. Yeah. Um, I, I may spend a day driving and hiking, but I may only spend two hours actually fishing. That's what the trask is like. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh no, those are, those are good tips. I think the, Again, I was just just mentioning uh, Scott McGarver on the last episode on on seventeen. He he talked a lot about um, oh I can't remember his exact quote, but basically you know don't wait out you know uh, start in close. I mean ankle deep and twenty feet. I think it was his quote. <laughs> you know you know there's they yeah. they catch a bo- a bunch of their fish. You know we're talking up in BC, but it's no different anywhere else. But a bunch of their fish within thirty feet you know, and even up into the beach, up into the beach. So I think, you know, I I keep reinforcing that, I think, but it's a good point to make that, you know, and I sometimes screwed up. You feel like you want to go out there and do the, uh, do the hero cast as, as Scott put it, but you you really don't have to, you need need to start in close. So, so yeah, those are, those are good tips for sure. Yeah. If if you've got a brand new spay rod, go to the Deschutes. Yeah. You can cast and swing forever. And that's how you fish the disputes. You get to the coastal streams. It's more like p- fishing pocket water in small yeah. slots. So yeah. you, you can fish it with a spay rod or switch rod, but you're better off just traditional one-handed rod um, and fishing for accuracy. You just got to get that fly right on the fish. And there's fish there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Good. Good. All right. Uh, let's see here. So I was just going to check to see if... Um you know, in the next six months, if you had uh, wanted to let us know what you have going as far as, I mean, it seems like you got, uh, you know, this big expo after this, you pretty much take it, take a break here or what, what do you got going? Well, with my job, I, I travel coast to coast. Um, this last year I was able to fish for pike in Vermont, uh, cutthroats in Montana, hmm. um, rainbows in New Mexico, golden trout in Southern California, um, so I, I'm just one of those lucky guys that gets to travel and fish everywhere <laughs> and I'll do the same thing. My, my personal goal is to fish one day a week. And so, um, I've got approval from my wife There you go. and my boss, my boss is very su- supportive also. And so <laughs> it's, uh, take fly rod and vice and travel. I, I tie flies in motels after work every night and yep. then, you know, if, if it's, um, fishing is close to where I'm actually working. I'll, you know, fish after five o'clock. So uh-huh. yeah, I've got a bunch of trips lined up and, um, I'll tell you though, Dave, real quick, yeah. something I found a lot of, a lot of satisfaction from the last two years is, is the cut slam programs. I've received a cut slam certificate in Wyoming, Utah, 
and I'm halfway through it in Idaho. But basically, if you catch the four native cutthroat in the state in their native habitat, uh, the state fish and wildlife will send you a certificate showing that you've accomplished that goal. And it is just a lot of fun. And this is in in which state? Um, Wyoming, Utah, Idaho. Yeah. Uh, California has one. It's not for cutthroat. It's for, for all trout. Uh, Jola Follett at Royal Treatment Fly Shop has developed one. I, he and I got together and developed one. It's called the Oregon Trout Trail. Hmm. But you can contact Joel. And if you catch um, five of the native trout and steelhead in Oregon, then Joel will give you a certificate and a sticker. And so it's a lot more fun to do that because you're focused on a single fish. You're not after volume of fish or big fish. You just yep. want to catch a fish. Totally. And uh, very rewarding. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, so you said the Roy- the Royal Treatment Fly Shop? Yes, in West Lynn. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll uh, provide a link here in the show notes for that as well. And, yeah, I can't remember the name of the guy. I'm sure a lot of people know. There is a guy out there that... Oh, I think he's up to like 300 species or something. You know, he's kind of trying to catch every Uh species. I don't know if you remember that guy, but I'll I'll try to find out, remember what his name is and provide a link to that because that's kind of, (laughs) I guess that's the extreme version. Um, But no, I love, I love that idea of, of trying to like, you know, I think the numbers game is, is a a distracting and, uh, you know, sometimes not good as far as the environment too, you know, just trying to get as many fish as possible and taking, taking it back and thinking like, well, getting one fish or getting four different species is pretty awesome. So I, I love that. Yeah. Do, do your research on that. Cause that is, that's a okay. fantastic experience. And you learn the, you learn more about fisheries there. Perfect. Uh, the, the native fish. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Hal, before we let you go, I just wanted to, um, note here and see if we missed anything about the expo or anything else you want to, want to, um, cover here or do we get it all pretty much ready to go for people that want to make it this year i i think we're good uh, it's held um the first part of march every year if you want if you're an expert tire beginner tire we, we'll have something there for you to learn hang out with some of the the best tires in the country and uh it's a it's a lot of fun perfect lot of fun. perfect and if people want to find you they can just go to uh northwestexpo.com that's uh, nwexpo.com and they can find you your contact information there or look you up if they have questions yes i'm on the board and they have the contact information for every person on the board so yeah i'm open for questions uh send an email if you need more information uh, happy to help. Okay, perfect. Great. Well, I'll leave it at that. And uh, just want to say thanks again for, uh, you know, all the stuff you're doing there. I mean, obviously, I can't remember how many uh, hundreds of uh, all the hours you put into that. But, uh, you know, I appreciate that. And I think a lot of people out there do that come to the show. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, let's keep this thing going. And uh, maybe they can talk to you at the show to find out how they can help and make sure this thing goes for 10 years and, and longer. And, uh, yeah, we'll just go from there. Great. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered in today's episode, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 18. That's the numbers, 1-8. Please go to wetflyswing.com slash community to connect with the growing Facebook group at Fly Fisher Society. We are continuing the conversation at the Society, so stop in and say hey. 
Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and maybe even seeing you on the river. Later. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. 